Phyllis Pieri, a franchise expert with over 40 years in the industry, who is here to help you unleash your franchise dreams. Join Phyllis on Fierce Females in Franchising, the podcast dedicated to showcasing the power and success of women in franchising, as she interviews badass female founders with inspiring stories, chatting with savvy franchisees about their franchising journeys, and bringing in industry experts to share their top tips for franchise success. Franchising may be the best kept secret in town, but we're here to spill the beans and show you the endless possibilities that franchising has to offer. So, if you're ready to take charge, kick some franchise butt, and become the ultimate franchise queen, then tune in to Fierce Females in Franchising, and let's get started. Hi. Are you a... Oops. Welcome, everybody. Phyllis Pierre here, and I am super excited. I need to put your banner up so that we have your name over here. I don't know why I didn't do that, but I'm super excited to have Shelly's son with me today, and Shelly is the C... I'm going to read her bio. Shelly's son is the founder and CEO of Bright Star Group Holdings, Inc., the parent company of Bright Star Care, Bright Star Senior Living, and Bright Star Care Homes. Bright Star Care provides medical and non-medical home health care and medical staffing services. Shelly founded Bright Star Care in 2002 in the Chicagoland area from the ground up and expanded it through franchising in 2005. Today, Bright Star Care has more than 365 franchised and corporate-owned locations nationwide, while employing 15,000 caregivers and 5,700 registered nurses who oversee the care and safety of each individual client. From day one, Shelley uh, Bright Star Care has existed to provide senior and those in need of home care services with the full continuum of care. On the franchise front, we achieve a number of prestigious accolades this year. For the 13th consecutive year, we made the Entrepreneur Franchise 500 list and Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing private companies in America list, which according to Inc., we have a three-year revenue growth of 89%. We also ranked on Franchise Business Review Top Franchise List, the Franchise Times Top 400 List of 2022, and were named a Top Women-Centered Business by Global Franchise Magazine. Shelly, welcome to my show. I am so excited that you are here. So glad to be here and so good to see you again, Phyllis. Oh, it's so much fun. And I don't know why our names aren't appearing, but oh, well, we'll just... We'll just get going anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and put your, um, the name, the URL for your company here so that people will be able to find your website. So Shelly, one of the goals I have for my show, there you are. One of the shows, the goals I have for my show is uh, to hear your founder story. Cause I think founder stories are really powerful. So if you'd be so kind to share your founder story with us, I would love to hear it, and I, sure. I know that it has a lot of heart. <laughs> it, it'd be my pleasure. So in late 2001, um, I was um, helping my soon-to-be new family. I was engaged at the time, look for care um, for Grandma Pat. Um, she was um, suffering with stage 3 cancer, 
started to not be able to do things on her own. So she needed personal care, non-medical care, but she also was trying to manage the pain. And so she mm-hmm. needed injections that only a nurse could provide. And so medical care. Um, and it was amazing to me making as many phone calls as I did on behalf of the family to find a company that could provide the services that we needed, that there was not at the time one company that did both non-medical and medical. And Mm -hmm. so we had to manage over two different agencies that were doing parts of the services, which was that much more complicated. And I also was really surprised that we were willing to pay more for a higher higher quality experience, um, more Mm -hmm. dependability, more heart. Um, And all we found was someone wanting to quote a price, a moderate price and get us off the phone. Um, And at that time, you know, you could pick, pay more and be in a different seat on an airline, eat at a different restaurant, shop at a Mm -hmm. different store, have a different cup of coffee, but you couldn't spend more to have a different healthcare experience with something so personal. Um, In March of 2000. Uh, two, the day before um, my ex-husband and I got married, Grandma Pat passed away. Mm. Um, and I was you know, working in corporate America at an organization that because of World Trade Center losses, it was in the aviation industry, mm-hmm. was going to shut down. And I was able to negotiate a larger severance by staying on time, being the one that shut it down. I had a unique set of skills to do that. And so I had this nest egg and this family consumer experience and this passion to make a difference mm-hmm. and help other families that are probably going through the same exact journey that we had gone through have a much better experience. But I'm not a clinician by background. I'm an accountant by background, but I'm an accountant and good with numbers and scaling businesses and mm-hmm. leading teams. But I've always been a hugger. And you know that about me. Yes, right? I do know that about you. <laughs> so I have a big heart and have you know a lot of empathy. And so Putting those things together, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I spent the summer of 2002 going and talking to hospital discharge planners and physicians and nurses in the community and other families that might be, you know, having their parents or grandparents go through this aging journey that we had. And I thought that I was onto something. And so I gave myself, you know, six months to make it work. And if not, I'd go back to corporate America. Um, and we were very fortunate. We did tap into something that there wasn't another company doing non-medical and medical and arguably with as much um, passion, resilience, heart mm-hmm. as we were willing to put into it. And so the families that we interacted with in the first few months really saw something unique and different with us and gave us a chance. And I like to say the kind of the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I would franchise it. Um, I had an opportunity in 2004 to go to new owner and new manager training at Choice Hotels with oh, my, interesting. My, my mother-in-law then at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and because we had make it, made an invest, investment, she invested 75%. We invested 25% of mm-hmm. what we had built up in profits from our first two years of our own company-owned locations. By that time, we had three company-owned locations. And I sat in training and I'm like, I totally could franchise our business model. Totally. Yeah. And if I could, that's more moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas we could take care of mm-hmm. in a way that they deserve that I didn't believe existed in the industry. And mm-hmm. so at the time I was pregnant with our twin boys and went on bed rest. And so I did our operations manuals while <laughs> sitting on, while sitting in bed rest. Only uh, women can only <laughs> women are able to do these kind of things, I swear. And that's kinda, fabulous. then we launched our franchise in, in two thousand five. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's so interesting. I often say to clients that 
everything you've done to this point brings you to where you are today and you get to use all of that experience. Very so, much. so tell them a little bit more about, because you have a very strong financial background. And that's one of the things that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that that's one of the areas, one of your great strengths is really being all about the numbers. Because I remember going to a discovery day at your office and we were talking and you were talking about your vision because you always had a big vision about where you wanted the company to go. And the thing that I loved and the thing I always remembered is you said, my franchise owners are going to make so much money that they're going to need tax shelter. And I know that that was the one of the reasons that you went have expanded, which we will talk about. But share with the audience where your financial background really has played a strong component in the success of your business, I believe. Yeah, I think my I think background in, in you know, holding people accountable through key performance mm. indicators, to me, that's uh-huh. kind of the heart of franchising because uh-huh. we need to help our franchisees understand what are the critical few key performance indicators that if I focus on and do well at, they'll have a successful and thriving business. Uh-huh. And then they need to be able to take that down to what are the few measurements that they measure each of their key team members. And if they're doing those things, they'll be hiring enough personnel. They'll be delivering a great customer experience. They'll be delivering great clinical outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, and the whole business model works. And so that background, I think my background in finance has helped me. I often hear a lot of women founders have difficulty raising capital or procuring debt. Mm-hmm. And I, fact, I think the fact that I could speak the same language as our bankers yes. as we've evolved has allowed me to be able to tap into the capital that we've needed because I still own 100% of my equity. Um, so being able to tap into debt financing as we've needed to invest to grow and scale has been uh-huh. really helpful to have that financial background. So I am a CPA by background, you know, and right. I got a lot of, you know, accounting kind of jobs up and through probably my mid to late 20s. And then I started progressing into more leadership because I had a natural um, talent in developing people. Mm -hmm. Um, They were inspired by my leadership. I could get the most out of them. I could drill it down to a critical few, what they needed to do to be successful. And I had no problem having the difficult conversations when they weren't delivering to tell them how they weren't delivering, what they needed to do to improve and coach them up. And then if it wasn't going to fit to help them out of a bad situation, us out of a bad situation and help them exit. So I think that that leadership, those leadership roles at scale what were equally beneficial thinking about the scale of a franchise brand. You know, I had managed hundreds of people in the roles I was in before becoming a franchisor and mm-hmm. some franchisors have never operationally manage that size and scale. And so I think mm-hmm. it's knowing the numbers, knowing the metrics and making sure you're you're scaling the infrastructure and having yes. the capital to do it while you're scaling the number of units and the revenue, right? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes the units come first and you don't have the revenue to pay for infrastructure. And so it's kind of a leap of faith to mm-hmm. make sure if you're going to sell it, you need to be able to support it, which means you're going to put the infrastructure in before your roy- royalties grow to the point where that makes sense. And so that's right. the first four years of franchising, typically if a franchisor is building the right infrastructure to give the right level of support, they're upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's years five and thereafter that that starts to make sense. And so I think I do, to your point, think that the financial background um, and know and feeling comfortable about numbers and, and key performance indicators has helped me a lot in scaling and leading our business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think so too. And I know you've written a book and I have your book. 
and I don't. So I had a leaky wall and I'm having construction done. So my, I don't have your book in front of me. I'm very embarrassed to tell you that because I want you to tell our audience the name of your book so they can go get it. If they're thinking about franchising their business, yeah. which is one of the ways I help people, I would love, and I always recommend your book. I'd love for them to, you know, consider buying it because it, and I love the reason you, you wrote it. So why don't you share with our audience why you decided to write the book? Absolutely. So um, Grow Smart, Risk Less. And it, you know, it is on it is on Amazon. I've given most of the proceeds over the years back to the industry because I give, I give the books away and it allows that to kind of be done. Um, but I wrote it because we were on Undercover Boss in 2012. And I knew we were going to be on Undercover Boss. And I have a hard time saying no to people because mm-hmm. I just want to help people be able to grow or reach their goals, but there was no way I was going to be able to do that with hundreds or thousands of people that would see the show. And so the book for me was a way of saying, read the book first, if you're thinking about franchising your business. And then if you still have questions and you'll do the agenda, I'll Mm -hmm. spend time with you. But that way it made them have to spend a certain number of hours getting through the book and learning the basics Mm -hmm. before I was going to spend the time. Okay, that makes really good sense. And, you know, as you know, lots of people are turning their businesses into franchising. And, you know, the reason that I um, am having this podcast and the reason I call it Fierce Females is that I really believe that women in this country are under, they don't get it. They don't understand what the wonderful things that franchising offers And I want to get out to more women to have them take a look at franchising and realize it's a really great way for them to have a new future and to have a new life and not feel like they're stuck in corporate America. Mm -hmm. So um, what would you say is one of the most rewarding moments that you've had over the years? Oh, there's been so many. Um, I think having the opportunity to um, highlight the amazing heart of our caregivers on Undercover Boss was certainly one. I think that leading a home care company in 39 states with 39 different states regulations during er- the early parts of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, well, it still gives me PTSD to think about, but um, you know, in late 2020, there was a... Um, a study published, an article um, published of all of those on the front line that rated the CEOs um, in their and how they handled the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that's our frontline workforce. I mean, those are the, the amazing men and women mm-hmm. that are in our clients' homes on a daily basis. And there were 25 CEOs that were called out on Glassdoor as doing a great job, the most highly rated in leading through the pandemic. I was the only woman there was no wow. other home care company and there were four healthcare adjacent, um, but we were the only home care company and I was the only woman. Um, wow. And so that's probably something I'm the most proud of because, yes. you know, we take care of a very vulnerable population with our seniors mm-hmm. and high tech pediatric. I needed to keep our workers safe so they could keep our clients safe. And so, you know, beginning in mid-February, before it was really a thing, before the world kind of shut down, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a young president's organization member. I was calling in favors and calling contacts all over the globe, um, sourcing um, um, PPE from seven different countries. We put $2.3 million of our balance sheet to work so we could get PPE, um, wow. 100,000 N95 masks so that we could get that out to our franchisees to get to our caregivers to make sure that they were safe because mm-hmm. nothing else mattered um, is making sure they were safe. Sure. 
profit profit doesn't mean anything if people's lives are not saved. I'm still very mission mission focused um, and have been since the very beginning. So PPE was very important to me. And it that hard work and those sleepless nights and lots of stress was kind of validated um, mm-hmm. in the fact that our frontline staff of the brand realized what we did and how we led um, mm-hmm. during a really difficult time in a very difficult industry to lead well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting uh, because I... You know, when the pandemic hit, I had moved to California because I became a Grammy. And so I was living down here and my kids were actually with me at the time during the pandemic, which, you know, people were struggling and I was, you know, having fun playing with my grandbaby and Mm -hmm. working too. But I got active in my local community here in Mission Viejo. By the way, you have a great franchise owner here in Mission Viejo. Um, I was looking up bright star. And of course she popped right up or he, whatever. (laughs) But um, anyway, I was, you know, I was on these zoom meetings or zoom chamber meetings and I was watching these people scrambling, trying to figure out how to, how to navigate, how to do everything. And I looked at all these people and all I could think to myself was, I'm sorry, you're not a franchise because you'd have other people that would really care and want to help you. And I know that our industry absolutely work 24 seven to help all of their owners and everybody do the very best that they could. Absolutely. So um, I think that I know in my experience, having been in the industry for 40 years and doing the consulting part for 20, I know that statistically when people typically think franchising, they think food. And yet most people, one, don't qualify for food or if when they look at what food really means, it's not really what they want to do. So that's another reason why I'm on this quest and this mission to open people's eyes to why they really should be considering franchising as more of an opportunity. Completely agree. So Shelly, let's talk a little bit about your senior care facilities that you have now. Um, so we, we did start um, our senior care facilities. We started the first one back in 2014. We have four of them now that are larger. Um, that became, you know, challenging during the pandemic because, oh, yeah. you know, in some of the, you know, poor quality control and horrific stories and bad, you know, government policy in New York and Washington state with many people dying in the larger uh, communities, um, having larger communities became more difficult to fill them and expensive with supply chain Mm -hmm. um, and inflation to build them. So we have pivoted from our larger um, property. I I love the ones we have. They're beautiful. We provide absolutely great care. We have two in Wisconsin with um, Jeff and Susan. I think, you know, my franchisees there and, you know, they're always so, so visible and amazing. Um, And then in um, Indiana, we have one and in Ohio, we have one. So we kind of focus on the Midwest, the ones in Indiana and Ohio, I own the intent was to to sell them to a franchisee once they reached a certain threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming through the pandemic with increasing costs and larger setting um, stigma, potentially, we pivoted. So that's Bright Star Senior Living. We pivoted to Bright Star Care Homes, um, which is probably what you um, um, got a chance to kind of get a little bit more exposed to um, on the our offering. And so Bright Star Care Homes is like 10 to 12 residents in a in a in a neighborhood, right? And mm-hmm. so it's much more approachable. the The cost increases of supply chain haven't impacted it enough to make it 
not viable. It's mm-hmm. doing a lot of good with labor shortages being what they are. You're kind of two caregivers to 10 or two caregivers to 12. So mm-hmm. kind of a one to five, one to six ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get some, you get some economies of scale that way while still doing, you know, a great, a great thing for many families. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that is, um, you know, kind of thinking back, I did believe if we did the right things, we selected the right franchisees and they followed the model, our franchisees would grow to build wealth. And then what do the wealthy people in America do? You think about multi-generational mm-hmm. Rockefeller family. I mean, go through, you know, Pritzker family, they hold their money yep. in real estate. And cause there's a lot of tax advantage reasons for doing that. Yep. So how did I think of, of a brand to help our franchisees that were successful on the bright star care side also think about uh, something that was in their portfolio, still part of the brand and doing good. Um, but it's real estate based. And so it was senior mm-hmm. living first. And, and now we've kind of pivoted more intensely into bright star care homes. We think that there still might be, you know, opportunity with Bright Star Senior Living as maybe more hotel operators feel like uh, they have overbuilt and want to multi-purpose them uh, Mm -hmm. or change them to uh, in their construction, depending on the brand, could be well aligned for an assisted living, Mm -hmm. um, memory care type of offering. But from a build from scratch, we're really focused on the care home size, smaller size, smaller investment. um, and we, we are seeing great success with that. We have, you know, discovery days every month, seven to 10 uh, folks nice. through a lot of our existing franchisees looking at it as part of kind of what I envision with a, mm-hmm. kind of a wealth, creation, wealth uh, retention uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen people from outside thinking that already are doing other things or have had success. Same thing. They want to own real estate. And this becomes an opportunity for them to have real estate mm-hmm. that, they know they can cover the cost of that, and yet it will probably continue to appreciate. So they have the appreciation kind of set to the side, and then they have an operating model that that can be profitable. So yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really brilliant. I know. So um, has the franchisee, the ideal candidate, has that changed at all? I know. I always, when I do consultations, I always talk to people about the senior you know, the senior space. And, and typically, I know I learned from you, it's finding someone who's had the experience that really like you wanted wants to make a difference and offer that to other people. Is that still typically what you what people are drawn to? I think you still need to have the passion and understand the need. So you do things in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, And so we are looking for that. We're looking for cultural alignment with our franchisees mm-hmm. as to what we do. Cause you know, owning a business, it's not all going to be, you know, rainbows, right? There's going right. to be tough days. And if you're not passionate about what we do, I mean, I've been doing this 20 years. I still love it. I still am mm-hmm. excited to get to work every single day. We have an opportunity to do such good um, every single day, yep. but I'm passionate about what we do. And I think if it, I had chosen something I wasn't passionate about, I wouldn't still be excited to get to work 20 years later. Um, so I think that is important. I think the background that we've and the skills and the scale that we look for in a franchisee has evolved. I think in the first few mm-hmm. years, before we had a brand that was more recognized. We needed someone mm-hmm. who had was kind of the brute force salesperson um, yeah. and was out in the community growing revenue. And then I think as our brand, you know, has been on national TV since 2014, as the brand is more recognized and we're top top three aided awareness, so top three brand most recognized in our space, wow. it means that we don't need someone who has to be the brute force sales, but we need a great mm-hmm. operator and probably mm-hmm. a great leader of people 
and mm-hmm. scalar of operations because mm-hmm. so much is changing in healthcare. And I think that's true right now. I think we've gone through three transitions of, you know, it was um, a salesperson initially, and then it was an mm-hmm. op person, and now it's a scaler and someone who's good with change management, probably still mm-hmm. operations kind of underneath it. But mm-hmm. healthcare is changing so rapidly. COVID has accelerated what's going to be done in the home. I think it'd be very difficult to be part of a brand and only be doing companion care, personal care, as most of my competitors do. Mm-hmm. I think at scale, we were smart to combine yes. on medical and medical from the very beginning. It's higher cost to operate, but it had to be in our agreement from the very beginning because otherwise you don't have the ability. I remember having the honor to meet Paul Hogan when I was a brand new franchisor, like in 2007. And I went up and I asked, I asked Paul and I said, you know, Mr. Hogan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is kind of concerned like if you decided that home instead wanted to go do skilled care in all markets mm-hmm. um you could squash me like a bug should i should i be should i be worried about that and he goes young lady how many franchises do you have seven he goes, <laughs> i have nearly 700 so imagine yeah. if i didn't have in their agreement from the beginning that they had to make that investment what percent of them do you mm. think i can convince to go spend a hundred thousand dollars they didn't originally agree to That's right. i would harm our brand that might be one of the best known in companion care but it would be you'd have different service offerings in all markets because we didn't kind of have that as the offering from day one. And it was a really good perspective. And Mm -hmm. so I really spent time thinking more broadly about our franchise disclosure document from the very beginning as to, as the industry evolves, even if I'm not doing it today, what do I need to retain the rights for? Like I retained the rights for a national account program, Mm -hmm. even when I was brand new, I didn't, I wasn't a national brand. I didn't right. really launch a national accounts team until 2008, started franchising mm-hmm. in 2005, but it's 30% of our franchisees revenue now. Um, wow. And so we give, a, you know, our franchisees have to execute, but 30% of their business, they don't have to go get, they don't have to procure. Nice. We yeah. let them fill it, but that's because we do non-medical and medical. So I think now we need franchisees that are able to lead through change because so mm-hmm. many things are changing. Yes. More things are moving into the home. Medicare Advantage now pays for some of the services we provide. So mm-hmm. payer, client, breadth of services is all changing so rapidly and we don't want to be blockbuster. I mean, I, I right. see franchisees a lot right now because, you know, Medicare Advantage doesn't pay as much as private pay, you know, mm-hmm. you know really. but if, if Medicare Advantage is going to pay for, you know, 80 hours of care and it helps a senior's budget go further, yeah. we're in the trust business, we're not earning that trust to, pay, to charge them privately for something that government will pay for. That's and so, right. It's kind of going back to the days where the franchisees of the Blockbuster brand, and that was a franchise system too, didn't mm-hmm. want to evolve to give up late fees, even though yep. they knew their customer hated it. And now they're no longer in business. So mm-hmm. our customers, I believe, would hate paying privately for something that their Medicare Advantage plan would pay for. And so mm-hmm. therefore, we have to adapt and meet yes. our customer and then charge them what we need to charge them for the private pay hours that are over and above their government benefit. But we need mm-hmm. to be there and help them access their government ben- benefit as part of a holistic solution. So that yeah. ability to change, be nimble, lead their teams through change and embrace mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. is a really important component of the franchisees we're looking for today. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I care for a, I'm the executor for a friend of mine from the state of Washington. She has nobody. She has no family. 
nothing. And so I'm her executor and, and she's in a, a group home. And it's so, you know, I love the franchising, right? So I call him, I, I placed uh, Rob Young in Oasis uh, Senior, um, yeah. you know what, I, I'm drawing a total blank. Anyway, it's a franchise that where they help people find a place to live. So I place him in the franchise and then I call him up and say, I need your services. And he was able to find a lovely home for my friend to stay in. And yeah, and it's just like a six bed place and it's just a little home and you know, she's, she doesn't do anything. She has dementia. So she just kind of, she's withering away and it's very sad, but at least I know she's in a, a very safe place. So, oh, thank you. Um, anyway, so I'm going to run a banner here real quick on your book so that people know the name of it. Let me make it, uh, there, there we go. And uh, so I hope you will all go to Amazon. So I want you to go to Amazon and I want you to buy Shelly's book. But I also want you to go to Amazon and buy my little book. So I decided it's literally an itty bitty book. It's paragraphs and bullet points. And the reason I wrote it is that I wanted to have something that people could get like an overall idea of what franchising is all about. So I think it does a really good job of just, it's truly the cliff notes of franchising. Do I get an autographed copy, Phyllis? Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) And I, um, anyway, so I I wanted to uh, show that and let's see, I wanted to ask you one other question. Oh, so tell me about one of your successful female owners, because I would love to have her, one of them on my show so that women can get another idea of what it's like to be a franchisee. We have so many. We have um, nearly 50% of our franchisees are 50% or more, more owned women. Nice. Um, so that's, that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. Um, we've got a um, uh, female in Southern California. So not probably not too far from you. Um, Karen Abe, who's really amazing um, and growing and expanding and looking at multiple brands, looking at multiple territories. Uh, I, I, probably could get you a long list. We've got um, a long list of really amazing female franchisees. Caroline Moore is one of our franchisees in Idaho. That was the, um, she came and toured our Bright Star Senior Living large community, had access to our um, operations manuals for Bright Star Senior Living. And she took that you know, even ahead of the pandemic and said, I'd like to use this intellectual property, but would you allow me to do something that's a smaller scale, like eight Mm -hmm. to 10 rooms, which is what became our care homes. Mm -hmm. And so we did an addendum to her franchise agreement because otherwise she wouldn't have been able to because we have a Mm -hmm. non-compete for anything that's serving seniors, regardless of setting. And so we said, sure, we'll let you, you know, pilot that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we did an addendum to her franchise agreement. And she now has, I believe, six um, homes open and operating or maybe another two under construction or development. And so oh, and now, yeah, very cool. And now she started kind of help, helped us like do um, visits there when we do our discovery day and pops in for the training class for the, those that are kind of um, joining the Bright Star Care, um, Care Homes brand. And so that's really cool to see kind of the innovation, taking something that was ours, yes, adapting it to something that would fit what she could invest in because mm-hmm. Bright Star Senior Living is like a six to $8 million investment. Yep. Price or care homes is like a million to million 
five if you yep. if you own the real estate and probably three to four hundred thousand if you don't own the real estate. So mm -hmm. um, became much more approachable. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of great collaboration, our initial intellectual property, our help with marketing, it, it the Bright Star um, care brand kind of helps fill the communities because we're known and, and you know, um, advertising in all markets across the country, but a great collaboration of um, in, uh, allowing for some innovation that has made the overall brand and, set, and family of brands stronger. Wonderful. Well, you know, that's the thing I love about, you know, I keep saying I love about franchising, but again, here's an opportunity. There's two things that came out of that that I thought about. One is, Shelly, I love the fact that you live in a world of abundance and not of scarcity. So you didn't get afraid when she came to you and wanted to do that. Instead, you embraced it so that living in abundance and also that we know that some of the best ideas come from franchise owners. Absolutely. And so it's being, um, I think people get the idea that if they get into a franchise, they're going to have their hands tied behind their back. And that's not the case at all. It's not, but we still need to have consistency across the brand. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of franchisors right now um, that, you know, franchisees were a little bit more autonomous going through the pandemic conferences mm -hmm. didn't occur became a little bit more like the wild wild west than you would mm -hmm. want your brands to be and so i think a lot of franchisors and us included are kind of getting back to a compliance consistency initiative to make mm -hmm. sure our customers can count on a consistent experience in all markets and so you want to i think there's a balance between mm -hmm. having high standards for consistency but enabling some innovation in a defined structure of mm -hmm. piloting. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's where you can live in abundance while still protecting me, the franchisor, millions and millions and millions of dollars of intellectual property. I can't yeah. let a franchisee go rogue. No. Right? But I need, to keep them, I need to keep them within. And like, what's the structure where I can let them pilot within something that works for them and works for me? And if it's really mm -hmm. successful, how do you enable that to go across the entire brand? Yes. Um, and if it's not, should it continue without one franchisee or get shut down? And what are the pre-agreements mm -hmm. to that? But I try to enable, but I want it coming within my brand. And I'd rather be it be within my brand than outside yes. of my brand. So what does the future hold for Bright Star? Do you have other things in the pipeline that you're developing? Or are you pretty satisfied with the three legs that you looks I'm like you never satisfied now. you've known me for so long <laughs> i'm never satisfied um i'm happy but i'm not satisfied i think there's always more good we could be doing and that that motivates me and i think healthcare mm -hmm. is changing a lot right a now lot. Yeah. um and i think things are moving in terms of reimbursement you know more is going to be reimbursed based upon the outcomes that are achieved and mm -hmm. and improving healthcare versus just pay, being paid an hourly rate, regardless of how well you do and how satisfied customers are and what mm -hmm. outcomes they have, um, have, um, received. Um, and so I think for us, we're buying back a good portion of our franchisees right now. Are um, you really? Yeah. Oh, we, interesting. Yeah. So about 18 months ago, we had three company owned stores. We now have over 30. Um, so we're about 10% of revenues and our company owned, I think we'll get to 15 to 20%. So we'll still always be majority franchise, mm -hmm. but I think it's enabling us in like seven different States because it's difficult to just say we're only in the Midwest and some franchisees in Florida or California, or Arizona, whatever, don't think we know and understand their business. Yep. And as we want to to do pilots on value-based care where we're willing to not be paid as much up front and get some incentives on the back end. Mm -hmm. If we believe that's where it's going, we need to put our balance sheet at risk, learn it, 
fine tune it before we can roll it out to franchisees. And I wouldn't have the size and scale to do those partnerships and be expecting franchisees to do it on their balance sheet. So we are doing it on ours. Um, and with 30 locations and this number nice. of states, um, it gives us an ability to do that. Try out new technology, try out new marketing, yes. try out new, you know, value-based um, care kind of reimbursements. All of those things are things that we are working on. And that kind of gets me excited for the future because I do think mm -hmm. Medicare Advantage will be a bigger part of our payer mix. I do think we'll be paid more on the results we get versus the hours we deliver. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to be the example for that and learn fine tune and then roll it out to our franchisees. But we're going to have to have our franchisees do those things. But I need to show them how. And nice. what's the upside and what's the downside? So company owned is part of a strategy to ultimately better our franchisees. Uh, but we're heavily involved in it on the company owned store level right now. In two years, I hope we're rolling out value-based care and Medicare Advantage at scale to our franchisees. Nice. So will those company stores be geographically around the country so that you they have are. better? We've, okay. tried, we've tried to go into, because we're not... I'm not there, right? And I'm risking a mm -hmm. lot because I own 100% of them. I've gone tried to go into um, employer-friendly states. Oh, <laughs> well, I bet you're not here, Shelly. I'm not in California well, um, <laughs> uh, as a company owned. Um, and I started in Illinois, and that's you know not necessarily an employer-friendly mm -hmm. state either. So we've, we'll grow probably in Illinois, but we've added states that are generally neutral to employer-friendly. So mm -hmm. we're in Wisconsin. We actually just bought Jeff Twos and Susan Rather's um, um, home care business. So we, oh, wow. Um, um, and they are the dearest of friends and coming to my wedding next year. And I only have a handful of franchisees coming to my wedding, but Jeff oh, and Susan, sweet. it warms my heart. I was there when we told their employees, they cried, I cried. Um, I, I've known their team for a long time. So I'm very proud of that. Um, but we're in Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Arizona. So we're, we are trying to take somewhat a coast to coast approach, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but in the States where we're not taking on an abundance of risk while we're trying to learn and do good and enable yes. our franchisees to grow and scale. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. The other thing we're trying to do is help our franchisees that are living our core values, have the infrastructure, have the leadership capabilities grow and scale. And mm -hmm. so we offered incentives to franchisees to uh, take on additional investments in additional territories in the second half of 2022. And we had 17 franchisees commit to 28 territories. Nice. So we're growing with our existing franchisees. So we, yeah. So we can hopefully help them think about some ways to centralize some functions. You mm -hmm. know, inflation's affecting the bottom line of franchisees, right? Yeah. So how can we think outside the box of growing revenue diversifying revenue, but also helping them reduce cost with, mm -hmm. if they're at certain scale, some centralization models, some better vendor negotiations, mm -hmm. some better utilization of technology that makes sense at scale, that mm -hmm. might not make sense on an individual location. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Shelly, this has been so much fun. It's oh, so man. great to see you. I wish I could hug you. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual hug. Yes. You have to let me know if you come to California. I, I would will, to, absolutely. I would love to see you. I notice your marketing people are in California. So maybe you have to go to their office. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but thank you very much, Shelly. I so appreciate everything you've done and everything that you continue to do. Thank you. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you maybe at next year's convention. Who knows? I hope so. Me Thanks, too. Phyllis. All right. Thank you so much. I'm going to put on our little outro music. And away we'll go. So let me see here. Here we go.
Thanks for listening to Fierce Females in Franchising. We hope you feel inspired by the stories and insights shared by our amazing female franchise founders and franchisees. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode filled with valuable advice, motivation, and a good dose of fun. And if you're ready to take the leap and explore franchising for yourself, head to our website for more information and resources. Remember, franchising is the best kept secret in town, and we're here to help you unlock its endless possibilities. So stay fierce, stay curious, and keep crushing those goals.